Hello there. Welcome to the third offering from the Astounding Tales podcast. Don't forget we have a Facebook page, Astounding Tales of Love and Daring Do. Now it's not entirely necessary, but you may wish to revisit the short prequel story to this one. It's called Shopping and you can find it on Podbean or iTunes. But now on with the show. I hope you enjoy episode one of The Galatian Horror. Fathomless, oil-black sea. Emerald ribbons frayed with citrus cerulean swirl through malachite, teal, and cerulean blue. Eternal amaranthine. Eternal deep. The Sally B sinking deep, deep into the ice-black suspension of stars. Slumberous, superluminal, flotsam. Ah! What the bleeding egg was that? We've just washed up against the exosphere of Ponticon. Perfectly normal. Did we just eat something? Mm, no. Minka, darling. There does seem to be an awful lot of debris out there. Oh, it's just some old satellite. I'm sure nobody will miss it. We did it something. Gordon's life, we're sunk. Now, now, we're quite safe. Where's the lifeboat on this thing? Don't you fret now, Priya, love. The particle dispersion systems on the blink is all. Oh? It just means the Sally B's warp ring will tend to gather the odd particle about it while we're in warp fall. Then, when we stop and the warp ring collapses, they... Keep going like a little wave. Yes, a tiny shockwave. One capable of destroying someone's expensive satellite out there. Oh, Alcest, don't be such a bore. A, a bore? Let's not worry about that unless we really need to, eh? Well, I put it to you that this is exactly the kind of thing we should be worrying about. Oh, are those the remains of missile tubes? Wow. Yes, I'm quite inclined to join you in your concern, Priya. Mayhem does tend to follow us wherever we go. Uh, Priya? Oh. I've never been outside Capital City before. Never even looked down on it from above. And now there's a whole nother planet out there. Yes. How brightly shines that fragile pearl. Devoted obeisant to that far lucent sun. By the will of some ineffable cosmic architecture. Once seen from such heights as these, where the raising of a palm can so entirely obscure its face, who would not come to cherish these worlds upon which we live? It's like a big scoop of vanilla ice cream drizzled with raspberry sauce. Yeah, it is, ain't it? Good grief. The Sally B twists and tumbles inelegantly down onto the planet's surface. Tiny flying insects, not entirely unlike Earth's dragonflies, flit above the low waves set in motion around the porous rocks torn up by the ship's arrival. I hope we have Wellington boots. All that water makes one feel a little seasick. Oh, it couldn't be the bucket of deep-fried worms you just gorged yourself on. Uh, oh, oh, certainly not. I have the constitution of a libertine. 
Whatever you say, my furry friend. Hey, Hop, give over steaming up the windows, you two. Insects and rusty red scrub. I'm going to have to do some spectacular accessorising if I'm to even make a half-decent entrance. The planet Ponticon rolls out before them, a clumsy patchwork of reds and ochres streaked with yellow. A great plain of stone cracked and worn by rusty water into a network of twisting channels, the dry peaks dusted with a scarlet bloom. And as the gentlest of breezes winds through the broken landscape, there rises a sonorous moan, a bovine lowing to which a fine ruby fern dances in sympathy before being crushed beneath the impractically healed boot of an environment suit. Oh, Fleming, Nora. Why didn't I have that last ziggy before putting on this great clumping get-up? Menka's zebra print suit is closely fitted with a fishbowl helmet ballooning out from the neat little collar. She winds a floral silk scarf around her neck and tosses it over her shoulder. Behind her stands Priya wearing a far more practical looking Noah suit and Alcest in a smart monogrammed pinstripe. Their helmets tint slightly overhead against the sunlight. Ow! That sun's so bright, but that blue sky and the grey clouds, it looks like we could be on Earth. Are you sure we can't breathe the air here? Sorry Chuck, it'll be sweet but poisonous. There's not much oxygen and enough hydrogen sulphide to make you sick. Best keep our helmets on for now. You know, what all these wrinkly rocks look like to me? A giant brain. This isn't going to be one of those sentient worlds that senile old space dogs bang on about, is it? Feels more like coral to me. Never mind the geology, you two. We're here for a reason, remember? Some daft buggers are trafficking juvenile Galatians, creatures of unspeakable terror. That funny pebble at Mr. Flea's? Mr. Flea's Emporium of Unearthly Delights. That's right. Oh, I've lost my train of thought now. Unspeakable terror. Thank you. Creatures of unspeakable terror. Carnivorous rocks native to the planet Ponticon. A planet accorded a protective status of unique scientific interest by the Galactic Trust. Now, when I was rummaging around in Mr. Flea's drawers... What? When did you have time for that? His desk drawers. Well, judging by the dates when the juvenile Galatians have been appearing on the black market, the traffickers have probably been making use of the supply shuttle to the Trust's research station here on Ponticon. It's the most obvious way to bypass the rather officious planetary defences. Officious? The Galactic Trust's military wing tends to be particularly prejudiced in its prosecution of trespassers. They do a lovely cream tea, though. Hang on a mo. Wasn't that a military satellite we collided with up there? Shouldn't I be worried about this? I mean, aren't we trespassers here? Oh no, well, we're here now anyway. Come on, this research station can't be too far away. This planet only has one cocktail bar and it's this way. Gradually, the broken earth consolidates into a gently undulating plain, dusted with fiery lichens, mosses and clusters of tiny round leaves. Needles of rasping black grass find vital purchase in a fine web of cracks. And in the shelter of gathering hills, what looked like coxcomb spring forth in tiny fountains of purple and pink. Making higher ground, they stop to watch the colours fade as the sun sinks low in the sky, 
Night settles in. A ribbon of stars threads its way behind two slim crescent moons. Menka directs the light from her electronic compass into its depths, while lamps hum into activity at the top of Priya's and Alceste's boots. They are marooned upon a pale island of blue-white light. Getting hungry now. Oh, I'm sorry, love. I didn't realise we'd part this far out. But look over there. See that flashing light? It'll be the research station's beacon. We can take off these fishbowls and get some grub down us when we get there. But that's miles off, and we can barely see ahead of us with this limited illumination. You don't even have headlamps built into your suit. Look, when you discover an outfit as fabulous as this, you don't trouble yourself with tiresome little details like headlamps or functional pockets. Besides, I took a good butcher's at the lay of the land before the sun went down. Trust me, we'll reach that beacon in no time. You just follow me and keep an eye out for Galatians. I'm beginning to wonder why you've got so worked up about them. I mean, just how dangerous can a rock be? Just you take my word for it. They're bad news. Cat? Meow? What's the worst a Galatian can do? No data connection available. Oh, typical. You travel half the way round the galaxy and some things never change. How are we going to spot these perfidious pebbles anyway? We can't see more than a couple of metres in this darkness. Oh, they glow with a pulsing light when they're active. Stand out like a... Uh, a... a beacon. Just like the very thing we're heading towards. Oh, come on you two, the bar's this way. You know, our current predicament puts me in mind of a, of a piece I once composed while serving as a guest lecturer at the Capital Academy of Dramatic Arts. I'd invite a few of the more notable students around on a midwinter's evening to partake of a sherry whilst I performed for them a chilling tale of horror and suspense. I believe it was regarded as quite the poire-ort of the academic social calendar. Maybe now's not the best time for a ghost story. Ah, oh, nonsense. It's the perfect time. It tells of a weary traveller, lost in the gloom of an impenetrable night, very much like this one, struggling to cross a freezing moor and haunted by wretched memories he long thought buried. The very darkness itself rushes up to smother him like a shroud. Wait. Can you hear that? Yes, very droll. No, it's gone now. Really, I thought I could hear music. It's, it's just your imagination playing tricks on you in the dark. Wait, there it is again. Really faint. Rain. Ah! A shock of lightning crawls along the underbelly of the clouded sky, setting long shadows to lurch across the landscape. In that moment, the night seems to run wild with diabolical beasts, and a monstrous black form towers over them, haloed in the light of two pale moons. <laughs> it's, it's just a big rock. Some kind of monolith. What? It just seemed to appear out of nowhere. Someone or something must have put it there as a monument. Like such a memorial, or... No, don't touch it! What? Menka, that thing is not a rock. What? A deep bass thrum 
grinds into the pits of their stomachs. It strikes up an unbearable, slow-thumping beat as the blackness falls away behind a pulse of visceral light. The monolith throbs with a terrible life which hammers at their senses. Then, with a dreadful grinding of rock against rock, it reels towards them. Galatian, run! through the rain, and for the three companions it appears that time pauses in reflection. The grinding stone slows and comes to rest, its horrible vitality softening to a gentle, rhythmic pulse. Nobody move! Hands in the air! You, madam, drop the weapon! Who are you calling madam? It's Miz to you, Buster. Anyway, I don't carry any weapons, not unless you count my siren voice and come to bed eyes. Drop the device! Madam. Look here, Sonny Jim. Please, Muz, hand over the device just until we properly assess the situation. You know, with a voice like that, I bet you've got lovely eyes. Let's wipe some of the muck off that helmet and have a look-see. Do not make physical contact with Dr. Russell. Hey, look now. I only wanted to give his helmet a bit of a polish. <laughs> <laughs> you two sniggerers. Keep your hands where I can see them. <coughs> my dear, the last fellow who pointed a pistol at my person received a right royal kick off the arse. In the shin, surely. And what on earth is that dreadful noise you're making? Can't you turn it off? That dreadful noise is a pacifier. It's the only thing stopping that Galatian from draining you down to a wreck of bones. But I grant you do have a point about the gun. Please stop waving that thing around, O'Reilly. We don't want any accident. What? It's okay. We're all civilized people here, aren't we, Ms? Mukherjee. But you can call me Menka. Thank you, Ms. Mukherjee. I'm Dr. Russell. This is O'Reilly. Oh, a doctor, eh? I think my pulse is racing a little too fast with all the excitement. Perhaps you could check it. Here, put your hand on my chest. Sorry, I'm not that kind of doctor. Don't let that stop you. Go on, cop a feel. The device, Ms. Mukherjee, please. Well, very well, here. Thank you, Maker. 
Well, now that we're all friends, I'd like to invite you all back to our base for a little chat. It's not safe out here at night, but I'm sure you'd like to freshen up after your ordeal. Yeah, and then we can get this cleared up nice and tidy. I don't like how she said that. In the diffuse light of the hoverskiff and the approaching encampment, they begin to discern cables strung high between tarnished metal supports. Towers of splintered rock gather together in a manner which suggests some significance in their arrangement, as if placed there deliberately. Above the engine hub and puttering rain, there rises a new sound, a spectral drone shot through with hollow cracks and whistles. That noise? I think I've heard it before out there on the plane, like music. It's a bit like the one you were making from your pacifier. Coming from the wires, the wind plays them like a giant harp or something. The little cracks and fizzles come from the rain striking them. One of our crew strung them up as a kind of artwork. Then we found that the noise pacified the Galatians. They actually seemed to like it. Open up a whole new branch of study. The note's middle C, but there are others playing around it. Familiar, like an orb. Another damn hippie. <laughs> you should talk to Brian, he'll love you. Those clusters of standing stones, are they... Galatians? Yes. Just as I said, they do like that noise. Oh. And did you think the lion was sleeping because he didn't roar? The beacon illuminates a rough landing pad set some way to the side of a cluster of irregular, squat buildings. There appears no formality in their layout, almost as if the buildings have tumbled from a basket. Well, at least the place looks cosy. None of that precise, military spick and span polished brass button nonsense. What time do you serve breakfast? Grim strip lights illuminate sealed cases of the local flora. On the wall, a large video screen mutely plays out the domestic values of another world. A heavy baize table stands littered with brightly coloured balls. Cumbersome helmets have been removed and the guests offered chairs. Menka lounges confidently, the bright scarf draped across her shoulder and her suit unzipped to reveal a glimpse of shocking pink brazier. She glows like a brilliant flower amongst the tattered furniture of the common room and its similarly dishevelled inhabitants. Dr. James Russell, Chief Bill Murdoch, Catherine O'Reilly brandishing a hateful black pistol. Dr. Brian Lamb, whose skin and dreadlocked hair are etched with a bruised red patina. Engineer Mary Kamuntu. Harry Page, whittling absent-mindedly at a small strip of wood. And Dr. Natalia Kanika, tending to Priya's ankle. Ow! Nothing broken, it's just a sprain. The med sock will help with the swelling and you'll have forgotten all about it in a couple of days. What are you doing here in a grade one protected world? Sightseeing. Our ship broke down. That is to say, owing to a fault in our navigation systems, we regretfully lost our way and were forced to set down on your delightful planet to effect repairs. And it's so pretty here, we thought we'd take a stroll and have a butcher's at the local beauty spots. Do you understand where you are? A grade one protected world has to be maintained as a pristine environment, unspoiled. Did you decontaminate those suits before you started tramping around this place? I had a bath. You really think this is the time for jokes? You could have been carrying anything. Dust, bacteria, pathogens. Who knows how much damage they could have done. Well, they're clean now. The airlock decontaminates your suits and you pass through. Oh, too late. 
How did you get through the security net? Security net? We didn't see anything like that, did we? No. Nuh-uh. 25 defence platforms. One frigate. Are there mines? I don't think so. A sky full of death-dealing devices, and you saw nothing. This isn't a game. They could be telling the truth. Gaps do open up from time to time. Mary, is that possible? Unlikely, but they do have breakdowns up there sometimes. Gremlins in the system. Want me to put a call in to Dara? See if they've been suffering with gremlins? No, not yet. We'll check out their story first. We should lock them up and notify the planetary guard. Dara needs to hear about this. And where exactly do you propose we should put them? The bathroom's the only room with a lock. No, I have enough work to do without having to jump through Mr Singh's bureaucratic hoops. Like I said, we'll check out their story first. They don't exactly look like poachers or traffickers, do they? No guns, and they're not exactly dressed for it. They look like a cabaret troupe. Hey, if you think this is classy, you should have seen me in my heyday. I had this clingy little number with boots that went all the way up to my Auntie Frances. The woman's clearly deranged. Right, you, I've had enough of your sniping. Put that thing away at once and get me four single malts and whatever these two are having. What? And don't even think about giving me the brush off. I know there's a bar around here somewhere. I can feel it in the waters. Are you sure it's not that bladder infection playing up again? (laughs) I'll play bartender. O'Reilly, I think you've met your match. Harry Page, will you stop with your whittling? It's driving me crazy. I can't sit down without one of your damn splinters sticking in my backside. I think we could all do with a drink. Tomorrow, we'll check out this ship of theirs. I'll go. Okay. First light. Harry and I will escort Ms. Mercury to her vehicle in order to assess the credibility of their story. Ms. Priya and Mr. Alcest will remain at the base under supervision. That'll be O'Reilly's responsibility. Chief. Until we get this straightened out, you might as well consider yourselves our guests. Under sufferance. Harry and O'Reilly can make you up some cots in here. Days are 22 hours, so expect an early wake-up call. The cold, bright light of a Ponticon morning pours through a large circular skylight into an antechamber to the base's airlock. It spreads a grubby white mantle across the various tools for survival on a world indifferent to human life. The crew and their guests gather round as Chief Bill Murdoch, Harry and Menka wriggle into their survival suits. Now, I don't think there's anything sinister about our guests here, but I hope they won't be offended when I insist they be accompanied by a member of the crew at all times. With open mind, I want to afford them every courtesy. That is sweet of you, Ducky. Now don't get too comfortable. The Chief and Harry are taking Ms. Mukherjee to ascertain your true intentions here. Bear in mind that the Trust has full magisterial powers on this planet, and they really don't like profiteers. Just try to be civil while we're gone, O'Reilly. Or at least try not to shoot anyone else once. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) One time, and you know it was an accident? I don't know. I still say it looks as though you shot yourself with deliberate intent. After all, the isolation out here can have some extremely deleterious effects on the human side. Impaired reason, time shifting, depression, monomania. A serious leg injury could have won you an early ticket out of here. And you wouldn't be the first to try. Oh! Uh, I'd quite like to find out about those weird noises that you've got going on out there. That's Brian's baby. Brian? The wires? Yes, I can show you. You can help me collect a few mould samples first. Oh, that sounds delightful. You'd like to come too? 
Appealing as it sounds, I'm afraid that, for the time being, I couldn't bear another stint in that survival suit. It does so ruffle my fur. No, I'd much rather make myself useful indoors. Do any of you perhaps have any papers or essays that could benefit from a trained critical eye? I'm considered to be a literary critic of some repute on my home world of Sorka, and given our circumstances as your most grateful guests, I would of course be generous in my appraisal. Would anyone care to take Mr. Alcest up on his kind offer? <laughs> no? Well, he has to remain chaperoned until we sort this business out. Do we have any volunteers? I'll do it. You're kind of cute, you know. Ooh. ooh. Come on, I'll show you my static engine if you like. Oh. Uh, usually I would never decline an invitation from such a charming host, but I rather think that in this case I must... Uh, oh, go on, you old stick in the mud. Uh, as my companion has made clear, it would be boorish of me to decline. Right then. Just another quietly industrious day in the life of Camp Kipling. After you, Miss Mukherjee. Oh, I do so adore an old-fashioned gentleman. There's a faulty boy I need to check on whilst we're out there. But we should still be back before dusk. Any problems, you can talk to Russ. I must admit, it does have a certain artisanal charm to it. It's a replica of a 20th century Ronaldson and Tippett M-type stationary engine. 3 horsepower, 900 revolutions per minute. I can sit with my mug of tea and watch it for hours, but I only have a very limited supply of fuel. She's got her own personality, talks to me, lets me know whenever she's any little problem that needs tending to. Yes, a proper little madam. Unlike these modern generators, designed by computers, manufactured by machines, and so reliable that I rarely have to do more than push the occasional button to keep them going. I suppose they do have a homogenous smugness about them. You're right. They've no love in them. And, and what purpose do these strings of dried fruits and leaves serve? They add a bit of love and spice to our limited diet. I'm cooked four nights a week. Mm, oh. <laughs> so... How did you come to be in a lonely place such as this? Oh, I used to work in finance. Then one day I woke up and suddenly nothing seemed to make sense anymore. That there must be something more to life than money. Yes, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. You hit the nail on the head there. So I joined the Galactic Trust as an accountant at first on their deep space survey vessel. But I was still just counting money there. And no one likes a woman telling them what they can and can't afford when there's an adventure going on. So I trained as an engineer for a year on a research ship. That was fun learning. But after a while, all I was doing was routine and repetitive maintenance. When I saw this post come up, I jumped at the chance. Ah, the call of the frontier. Yeah, that's right. I guess I was chasing a childhood dream. I remember reading about those first Earth scientists who went to Mars... They went there even though they knew it was a one-way trip. It's weird to think of them as heroes. I think they were more like martyrs, or... What were those people who they walled up in churches to worship a god? Anchorites. Yeah, knowing that they are on a one-way trip made them seem more... religious? And now the winking stars send out that whisper, soft and low. But they can hear, and it is clear, that they will have to go. 
yeah, those first Martians were something else. When I close my eyes at night, I can feel it. Like I'm alone on an island orbiting an Earth populated by billions of people and they're quietly watching me sleep on their vid screens. I'm their anchorite in a temple of science. Rough night? Hmm. But it don't look like many of you get enough sleep here anyway. A dark rings around their eyes and a ghostly white skin. Yeah. They're anemic. What? Self-inflicted anemia. The Galatians can pick up on the iron in your blood, so they think they're safer if they cut as much off it as they can after their diet. No spinach. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? And I suppose there's the local flora too. Plants are carnivorous as well. <laughs> no. Well, not exactly. What? They photosynthesize using water-soluble iron instead of water as an electron source. Some of them are what you might call aggressive feeders. They can draw on the iron in our bodies almost as easily as the stuff in the water. You know you should try local water. It's Calabi, full of iron, very good for you. Once you filter out the cyanide. What? Priya stares at the red patches prominent around Brian's eyes and mouth and begins to believe that she can discern tiny red leaves bristling as he talks. Um. You're looking at my little friends. I didn't like to ask, but you look as though you've got plants growing on you. They're harmless. In fact, they're properly exerting a beneficial influence, just like the bacteria in your tummy and on your skin. You don't wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat worrying about your skin microbiome, do you? Or do you? Well, I wouldn't want to encourage them. There'd be the smell for one thing. <laughs> that brooch of yours, it's net connected technology. Yeah. Continually exchanging seemingly insignificant data in an endless torrent with a galactic data net. You integrate yourself within a larger, ineffable body. But you, a minute component, are greater than what the net takes from you. Look at my dreads, the red threads weaving through them. These cute little fellows are related to rhodophytes, red algae. You can find them all over the rocks around here. In fact, they help make the rocks by laying down calcium carbonate, like a coralline algae on a coral reef. If I waited long enough, my hair would turn to stone. Just like the bacteria in my gut, which are a part of me. They are me, they're incredible and deserve my respect. Priya stares uncomfortably at the red patina streaking his face. She tries to see two organisms united in a mutually beneficial relationship, but sees only a parasite threading through his skin an infection. Her lips begin to curl with disgust. I think it gives me a better insight into the character of this world and its inhabitants. Let me introduce you to Mr. Shambles. What the fuck? It's okay, he's not a threat. Is it a Galatian? I, d I didn't even notice it. He's juvenile. The pot marks are from a kind of degenerative disease. I found him down by Lake Socrates and nursed him back to health. See how the rhodophytes are colonising the wounds. I think they're helping him heal. It's okay, look, you can pet him. It's only dangerous if he touches bare skin. I don't know. See? Well, okay.
we're going to change lives with the work we do here. There'll be new medicines, food, technologies to fight famine, even engineering applications. Before I came here, I'd heard about the indigenous silicon life forms, but it wasn't until I got here that the magnitude of what we were working with really hit me. I mean, I'm a geologist by birth. The rocks and earth are living things to me, but a rock that moves and hunts? It's terrifying. But beautiful. The glaciers aren't true rocks. Brian's the expert on them, but every time we learn something new about them, it blows my mind. As far as I'm concerned, this world is a resource to be exploited. Hippies like Brian may protest, but I have a niece with Mouser's syndrome. Without the exploitation of New Jerusalem, she'd be dead by now. And there's desert there now. All they grow are fields of Penaceae, as far as the eye can see. But without those things, my niece wouldn't be alive right now. I look into her eyes and I see such joy and potential, so much potential. I don't care if some planet's a desert of fir trees now. And there's plenty of money to be made too, a lot of it. Isn't that right, Menka? I try not to concern myself with such things. We're doing good things here, but all you saw were credits on. Okay, Harry, that's enough. Ms. Nukaji, this is where Russ and O'Reilly picked you up. Where do we go from here? This poor chap's seen better days. Mr. A, let me introduce you to RUR 1920, our scientific grade drudger, high spec neural processor, super tactile manipulators, enhanced sensory capability and completely unsuitable for work on Ponticon. <laughs> oh? The local plant life keeps colonising his joints and internal workings. If there's the tiniest chink in his shell, they'll find it. You've seen Brian. Ah, the astute fellow with the uh, skin complaint. Plants! He's covered in them. I think he actually encourages them. No, I'd like to give up on this thing. We decontaminate him, seal him up and send him out. Then within an hour I get the call to come and pick him up again. A veritable Sisyphean task. What? An ancient Greek, condemned in his afterlife to forever repeat the same pointless task. <laughs> I'll tell O'Reilly that. She spends more time tinkering with him than I do. She says that she can get him up and running, but I think she's using him to work out her frustrations. Yes, she does seem a little uptight. I take it she's not best suited to the isolated life here. It's not that. Oh? She feels she should be here as one of the research team rather than a menial. I understand she was studying molecular biology herself, but had to give up on her studies to support her sick mother. Couldn't afford to resume her studies. Oh, that is sad. Perhaps I could offer a word or two of consolation when next we meet. <laughs> now that I'd pay to see. I think she'd rather knock the stuffing out of you. Uh, oh. Back where I grew up, I remember listening to the wind singing as it passed across the wire fences. Sometimes it felt like it was singing just for me, like it was my constant companion. When I first arrived at Kipling, I found a couple of reels of cabin left behind from the camp's construction. Maybe I was homesick, but I thought I would try stringing them up to see what the wind here had to say for itself. And is it a friendly wind? For the most part, I think so, but it could take some figuring out. It is, after all, singing in the language that's alien to me. It certainly has something to say to the Galatians, though. They're drawn here by the noise. Sounds a bit like a shooty box. Hmm, what's that? Some kind of drone instrument? It's the bellows instrument. A bit like a harmonia, but without the keyboard. Indian musicians use them to provide a drone noise during practice sessions. Hmm, I'll have to look that one up. 
I sometimes think I can hear a hurdy-gurdy, but that uses a spinning wheel drawn against a series of strings. I can think of a few bands that would kill to get their hands on something like this. I do make recordings. What? Really? Yeah, I've got some contact mics set up. I run them through a preamp and into a cheap MP90 recorder down by one of the support posts. I can let you have a few copies if you like. Defo? I can download them to my cat. I'd never interest good music to one of those caterwauling things myself. Ha ha. The low moan of wind-strummed wires seems to sink with them into the stillness of a shallow gully. Seven tall standing stones are gathered in a rough circle upon one of its slopes. What are they doing when they're grouped together like that? They're entering a state of entrainment. Entrainment? Their biological rhythms are synchronising, like when women live closely together and they start to um, menstruate together. The electromagnetic imaging suggests that they are occupied in some kind of collective meditation. And the sound from the wires helps them, like a chant? It seems so. I've never come across the Galatians making a similar sound themselves. My eyes! Meditating rocks! I suppose I do think of them as spiritual species sometimes. They were accorded rights of personage long before we arrived here. Okay, let's get down to business. Just take a look at this fella. Oh my god, he's huge! Magnificent, isn't he? It must be twice the size of any others I've seen. Yes, I call him old Ben, after an old earth clock tower. It's not easy to accurately calculate the age of the Galatian, but I've estimated his age to be around 11,000 years. Nearly twice what's normal. But why is he alone? The others gather together in little groups. To meditate together, you said. Perhaps he just has something else on his mind. Now, old Ben has inside him a fascinating diversity of endoliths. Yeah, what? Life forms that live inside rocks. And I'm studying their development over time. So we're just going to take a couple of tiny core samples. Alright, fella. This won't hurt a bit. Be careful, sir. That's one weapon-grade paint job. Causing permanent retinal damage. Oi! I designed that myself, thank you very much. They must be criminals to be flying around somewhere like this. What museum did you loot her from? The Sally B is a design classic and sensitive to boot. So kindly button your lips and keep your comments to yourself. Okay, okay. Judging by the way the carbon and rock's been torn up, you made a pretty hard landing. Hmm. Looks too heavy in the rear end for an atmospheric craft. Hey, you. That is no way to talk about a lady. It must have been dumped by dropship. Where is it? How many crew? I told you, this is my ship. Granted, she's had a colourful life, but that's what's made her all the more brighter. Just like me, actually. Oh, come inside and have a butcher's. What the? I know. Impressive, isn't she? And I've spent decades perfecting the decor. Before we go find anything in this mess. Hey, I've only just tidied it up the other day. Come on, you can take those great clunking helmets off now. What's up the steps? My boudoir. That's off limits to the likes of you. We only want to verify your story. Okay, well, if you must have a rummage around, at least warm your hands first. And do please try to put everything back where you find it. Take a look down here, Harry. 
Please, Miss Mukherjee, uh, come to me upstairs to your boudoir. Oh, well, if you insist. After you. This is a beautifully fitted suit, isn't it, Bill? <clears throat> What's in these containers? They look like sample boxes. Hats. I've one for every conceivable occasion. I find this one can be very disarming when I'm being probed by a strong authority figure. Yes, well, how do you explain this? Some kind of avian plumage? From my feather boa. It's fabulous, don't you think? I'm an earther. Wearing animal remains isn't really our thing. Menka coils the colourful boa around her neck and twirls for her audience. Mm, oh, actually... Bill! Down here! What is it? They're small, but it looks like they incorporate some kind of microstasis generator. Biological sample cases. I've never seen them before in my life. It's the evidence we were looking for. Hey, that little piss pot must have planted them. It's a fit up. Well, I'm very disappointed in you, Menka. It's it's not true, I tell you. I'm sorry, but I can't ignore the evidence. Damn, looks like I'll be putting in that call to Mr. Singh after all. Russ, this is Bill. There, we're done for now. You could have destroyed it all, you know. What do you mean? You're not doing nothing. Just by landing here. Did you know that some bacteria can survive interplanetary travel and the heat of an atmospheric reentry? The tiniest piece of alien genetic material could transfer horizontally into the world's gene pool. Or you could have been carrying some kind of pest aboard your ship. Ever heard of a place called Australia on Earth? Uh, yeah, I think so. In the 1800s, colonists introduced an alien species of fauna called a rabbit for food and hunting. The things breed life. <laughs> Rabbits. That's where the saying comes from. They still exist on Earth, you know. Remind me to show you some pictures later. They look weird with their floppy ears and huge black eyes and the size of their head. It feels like they're looking right into you while remaining entirely imperishable themselves. I think it's easier to empathise with the Galatians, and I don't think they blink either. Scary bunnies. These are the cuddly doe-eyed animals with the cute twitchy noses we're talking about. <laughs> cute? That's a weird way to describe them. Watership Dan? Beatrice Potter, no? What? They used to work in a bit of a museum. They outcompeted the indigenous species for food, decimating some floral populations. They provided an easy food source for the local predators, which grew in numbers themselves, and then went on to drive already struggling prey animals into extinction. The country never recovered. This world is a unique resource. Until its genetic and mineral materials have been catalogued, secured, and tested, nothing can be deduced or removed from the system. I didn't realise. No. You, Priya. Yeah? Come with me. What's the matter, Riley? It turns out our new friends aren't as innocent as they claim. I told you all, but nobody listens to me, do they? The chiefs found evidence. They're porches. You what? The hover car comes to a rest above the lush red scrub. Menka is seated awkwardly, with her hands firmly tied to a handrail behind her back. I've got to check on that tectonic boy. 
Take her bonds and don't take your eyes off her. I should be half an hour or so. Sure thing, Chief. What the bleeding hell are you up to? Protecting my investment. It's you then. You're the poacher. I should have known, really. Oh? Is it that obvious? Never trust anyone who is forever flashing their teeth at you. You had to be hiding something behind that idiot grin of yours. Well, pretty soon I'll have something else to smile about. I've got a nice little setup here. The conglomerate pay handsomely for unique genetic material ahead of its clearance for commercial exploitation. If I allowed another entrepreneur to offer the same product to one of their business rivals, well then the bottom would fall at the market, wouldn't it? Never mind all that. What do you think you're playing at, letting all and sundry get their hands on those monsters? They're too dangerous to be sold as playthings of the rich and gormless. If one of them gets loose... What are you talking about? The baby Galatian I found for sale in Capital City. Galatian? Oh, that fool Jameson must have got greedy for a little extra on the side. He could blow a whole operation. So you're not here for poaching then? You don't look like law enforcers. Concerned citizens. Do-gooders. Right. Uh, I'm grateful that you've stopped that dreadful whittling, but what are you planning on doing with that knife? I'm just going to cut your hands free. Now I'd be get. What's your game? I'm not very experienced in this planting evidence, Lark. I don't think a couple of conveniently placed biostasis tubes are quite enough to convict you. No, my dear. You're going to have to work yourself free and attack me with this wrench. And I'll be regrettably forced to shoot you dead. Now, let's not do anything rash. I'm certain that a failed escape attempt will suffice to convince the authorities of you and your companion's guilt. Balls to that! Minka launches herself from the hover skiff with the grace of a proficient gymnast, but stumbles upon the rough ground, oh. landing face down and winded on a pillow of broad red leaves. She coughs <laughs> reflexively as one of several small puffballs sprays the side of her helmet with a delicate mist of yellow spores. And it looks like you're not very experienced in the art of the heroic exit. We do make a proper pair. Like I said, balls to you, Buster! Minka twists and pitches one of the puffballs at Harry. Finding its mark, the ball explodes against his helmet, coating the visor with a cloud of spores. Harry struggles to wipe away the sticky powder, smearing it instead into an impenetrable film. He shoots wildly as Menka hurls herself across the broken earth. Get back here, you harpy! Not on your Nelly! Menka bobs and weaves as she turns to avoid the wild gunfire. She scuds around the corner of a rocky outcrop in search of cover, only to be confronted by a terrible needle of rock, ablaze with the fury of light and sound. Galatian. Oh, Wick! Episode 1 of The Galatian Horror was written by Mike Exelby. Mike Exelby was the narrator and Priya's cat device. Josh Exelby played Priya. Sajinda Bola was Alcest. Ketna Boutron played Menka Mukherjee and Catherine O'Reilly. James Bide Thomas played Dr. Russell. Ivelina Mitva was Dr. Natalia Kanika. Tim Kilminster was Dr. William Murdoch, also known as Bill. Tom Reynolds played Dr. Brian Lamb. Reese Pollard was Harry Page. And Grace Marie Pina played Mary Kumuntu.
I hope you would join us for the thrilling conclusion in episode two.